morning. So it is good to be back with you this morning. It is good to be able to, to bring you God's Word. I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Nehemiah this morning. Nehemiah is where we're going to begin this morning. And if you're looking at a pew Bible, it's page 342 in your pew Bible. We'll have some text on the screen for you in just a moment as well as we get going. Get your outlines ready if you want to follow along that way. And uh, we'll try to get you back in the habit. Amen? A couple of you are happy about that, but that'll be all right. So uh, I, I try, to, try to, Paul said, I need to be all things to all people so that some might be saved. As a preacher, I try to be all things to all people so that some might get something out of this sermon. So uh, I pray that God will help us today. It's good to be back. It's good to be back with you. It's good to be back to, to bring God's Word. Uh, throughout this time away, the church board has approved and allowed. Uh, I have been seeking God's face for the future of PCN. And I'm thankful for this time, this time away. Not only the future of our church as, a, as it pertains to the ministry of our church and what we do to reach the lost in Pike County and Pittsfield, but also as it pertains to the future of our campus. And uh, many of you have been in discussions over the years and it's not just the last few years, it's been decades that we've been talking about some of these things that it applies to our campus. And as, as we began to, to speak about some of those things um, more fervently as a board and as a leadership team, it became very clear that there needed to be some direction given. And uh, so I had, had established a campus building committee, and we had been meeting on a monthly basis to kind of discuss some of these issues and to, to weigh out some of the possibilities and in meeting with them over a few months, I realized that when I looked to them for help and brainstorming, I said, team, I brought you together so that this could be a team effort. Uh, I'm coming in on the, on the back side of things. I need your help and input. And they looked at me and they said, Pastor, we're looking for you to give us that direction from the Lord. And I went home that night and did not sleep very well uh, because I do not have a passion for construction and building projects and, and all of that that goes into the all of that to say this, I know that as your pastor, it is my privilege and my honor to lead you as faithfully as I can. And if that means a building project, then I will lead you through a building project. If that means a change in ministry approach, then we will lead you through those changes together. And I am thankful for a leadership team that throughout this time has said, Pastor, we know the importance of this and we believe in you. And as it was recommended to the board, uh, they have granted me that, that month of June to be away, to not focus on the preaching, uh, but to be able to focus in on what God was showing us about this building project. Now, I want to tell you this. We are not going to be rushing into some major building campaign. We are not going to try to slip anything by you as a church without letting you know. That is not my desire as your pastor and as a leader. Uh, my, my goal in all of this is to prayerfully consider every option and to move forward together. Because without this being a, a cohesive thing, we will not succeed and we will labor in vain. And I want to trust the Lord every step of the way. Now, I will tell you this, that the Lord has given me some pieces of the puzzle. And I'm thankful for that. In this concentrated time away, he has given me some pieces to the puzzle, but I'm going to trust Him to help us put them together in the right order. As many of you know, if you work puzzles, you can have all the pieces laid out, and if you're working with other friends, you can start working over here while they're working over here, and eventually it all comes together and it's fine. 
But in this type of project, we need to carefully consider how every piece is laid and in what order it's laid in. And so I believe that God is going to show us the right pieces at the right time, and we will put together the pieces of His puzzle for His church, Pittsfield Church of the Nazarene, in the coming weeks and months as we move forward together. I have presented a four- to six-phase plan to the church board, the campus committee, as well as the staff, and we are going to be praying over the next few weeks about that phased plan. Now, it's, this is just a, a, the first step in the process, and as we pray about it, I believe and am trusting the Lord to filter that plan through all of the eyes of the leadership of the church. And as they do that, it will not just be the pastor saying, this is the way we're going to go and we, we push through, but rather we're going to pray through, tweak and adjust it, and move forward together. Does that sound familiar? We will move forward together. I'm so thankful for the leadership team that we have here at PCN and for their faithfulness to the Lord. One of the major things that has come out of this time of focused prayer and fasting for me is not only a plan for our campus and for our ministry, but also confirmation for the decisions that need to be made for our church to move forward. Because some of those decisions that need to be made are going to come with some consequences. And one of the confirmations that the Lord has given me, and this has been so, um, if I can just be transparent for just a moment, that has been so real and evident to me as a pastor, is that these decisions do not just affect me and my family, but they they affect all of us. And not only all of us here, but all of those people that we're trying to reach in the county and in the city. And so... As I got away and and spent some time alone uh, in Missouri at one of our Nazarene campgrounds there, it was very clear that God revealed some things to me as a pastor that He's never revealed to me before. And I'm so thankful for that, but it scared me to death because I've never experienced that before. And uh, as I was was praying and seeking God's face, one of the things that that I read during that time away and that I was praying about, God, God revealed to me, He said, what if this was your last job? in ministry? What if this was your last position? Would it change the way you make decisions? And I called my wife later that day as I read through some more things and continued to pray. And I said to Alicia, I said, Alicia, what if we never moved again? And her response to me was, great, where do I sign the contract? Um, Now, I want to say this from the bottom of my heart. As a pastor, it is never our intention to come in to be a flash in the pan and to leave. It's never our intention. When we came here the first time, I told Pastor Cruzy the same thing. I said, you know what, Pastor Cruzy, I want to set down roots here. I'd love to be here 10 plus years as your staff person. I'd love to to be in the center of God's will and see God's will be done in Pittsfield Church of the Nazarene. And, and, and we came with that in mind, and then God called us somewhere else, and we believed that that was our calling, and we believed we were going to be there for a while. And then, and then things changed that were out of our control, and, and God opened my eyes to a whole other type of ministry, and to be an armor bearer for my father, and to go to Oklahoma. And I told the, the church board of Missouri when we left for Oklahoma, I said, believe me, my desire is to go and to do what God wants no matter what. And I believe right now he's telling me that I may never pastor a church again. And I firmly believe that because I didn't know how long my dad and mom were going to need me as their armor bearer. And uh, we believe that and we went into that. And then, as you know, God has a great way of working things out. And the call came here. 
And I'm going to talk about that in just a minute. But I want you to know something before we get into this is that I want, I'm going to commit to you as your pastor. I'm not saying that I'm never going to leave and you're stuck with me. So if you don't like me, you need to probably go find somewhere else to go to church. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is this. I don't ever want to get in God's way of what he wants to do. But as long as the Lord is leading me to lead you as your pastor, I don't ever want to leave. And so I'm committed to make decisions in this next few months and weeks ahead to live with the consequences with you, to make decisions that we move forward together, that I'm not just going to make decisions and to lead us into something and then just leave. I want to lead us into decisions so that we can deal with the consequences and the blessings and everything together. Why? Because I don't like to do this journey alone. And I don't think you do either. So as we move forward together, I want you to know today, on July 14th, that I am committed long-term to whatever the Lord wants to do here. And if he has us going to try some new things and they don't work, guess what? I'm not just going to run tail and hide. We're going to just adjust, pick ourselves up, and try something different. I'm committed to whatever God wants for PCN for as long as he'll have me. Is that okay with you? Amen. Amen. Thank you. I, I hope and pray that, that's, that, that God has a long and lasting ministry for us here in Pittsfield. And now as things become clearer and clearer in the timing of things, it's really cool for me to see how he was working things out and how he's brought things full circle. So I want to share that with you. I am excited to have the long view in mind and to be committed to Pittsfield and trusting the Lord to navigate these decisions for us together. And I'm excited for what's in store. So I say all that to say this. It's good to be back. Praise the Lord for the time of prayer and the fasting uh, of being turned, tuned in to whatever God wants to do. And I'm thankful for that. Throughout this month uh, or so of not preaching and focusing that time on God's plan for His church here, God has been faithful And I want to begin to share with you some of those things that have been happening and some of the things that I believe God is pointing us towards as a church. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be sharing some of these details and sharing some of these things with you. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, what happened to Romans? Romans is still there, okay? It's still in your Bible. Uh, It's still right after Acts. You can still read it. You can still gain a lot from Romans. But right now, I believe God's changing our plan and He's moving us into a different direction And I hope that's okay with you. So if you want the ending of the Romans series, then just stick around. I'm sure we'll get to it eventually. So it'll be good. But you can go read Romans and continue to seek God's direction in in that book of of Scripture as well. But we're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah. And I want to be sharing some things with you about this book and how I believe God's showing it applies to us at this time. And so I want to jump right in this morning and I want us to jump in together. So I'm going to ask you if you would. I want you to stand with me and I want to I want to speak a word of blessing over us as a church and also a, a word of warning. But uh, if if you're able to stand stand with me and and hear this word of blessing. If you are the best of the best. If you are the first class You are a great person. You were the star athlete. You were the most popular. You were the most gifted, the most talented. The good news for you today is that God can still use you. God specializes, though, in using ordinary people. 
Starting today, we must begin to believe that we are capable of more in Christ. You and I were born for a purpose. We were created to do something eternal, something that matters, something that lasts. And over the next few weeks, I believe that God could change the course of your life. And in fact, I believe more so that God could change the course of the people around you and their lives. God wants to change our perspective on what can be done when we completely believe He wants to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. For years, we've been told about the potential of Pittsfield Church of the Nazarene. I want you to know this morning that I'm tired of that word. I'm sick of not living up to the potential that God has for us. And I'm ready to move forward and trust God to help us achieve that potential, to reach for that potential, to go for that potential with Him, to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. But here's the warning for us this morning. When God uses you, it will always come with a cost. When you and I begin to move out and to trust God and obey His commands and to move forward together, we will pay a price that's greater than you can ever imagine. The price may be pain and agony, rejection from friends and family. If they're not on the same page or in the same place on the journey with you, you may experience heartache and failure. You may experience loneliness when your friends say, boy, he's lost it. Why are you still following When you're alone, you're going to feel doubt creep in. And you'll probably be discouraged at some point on the journey. You may stand alone, and people aren't going to understand all that's going on. We are going to be criticized, misunderstood, and made fun of for what we're going to do. But when your sacrifices make a difference, you will never think about the price that you paid. The world will be different because we took a risk together. The world will be different because we took a step of faith. The world will be different because we obeyed God's leading. You are about to enter a journey where you are going to make a difference that will be worth it all because of your faithfulness to God and His direction in your life. You may look like an ordinary person today, but that is exactly who God wants to use. In Nehemiah chapter 2, 18, we see a study of an ordinary person. Nehemiah was heartbroken for his people, and he decided he couldn't, do, he couldn't just sit by and do nothing. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 18, he says this, So they began the good work. We're not going to be settling to be a church that has great potential any longer. We are going to begin the good work of reaching that potential together with Jesus Christ. Amen? If you're hungry to do more, if you're hungry to make a difference in this world and in this community, let's begin the good work today. Amen? Would you pray with me? God, you are so good. You are so faithful. You are so loving and gracious. And God, you have all the answers that we need and we look for. 
You know the plan that is set in front of us. You know that that potential has been out there, but you know, God, for whatever reason, we have not reached it yet. And God, I'm praying today that you would help us as a church, as a body of believers, to trust you, to trust you and to be all in, to shove all of us in, to say, God, no matter what, we will follow you and we will try to do whatever you ask us to do. Because God, with your help, not by our own strength, not by our own might, but with your help and your strength and your plan, we will fulfill your purpose as Pittsfield Church of the Nazarene. God, help us today to start the good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Before you're seated, high five five people around you, and the good work is going to begin. Amen? You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Nehemiah is where we're going to be looking over the next few weeks, and we're going to be looking at his life. One of the main reasons for this is because as I got away this this last month, it was Nehemiah's story that God continued to put in front of me. So just to give you a recap of where we're going, the blessing is that God specializes in using ordinary people. Aren't you glad for that? You don't have to be a 10-talent person for God to use you. You just have to be willing. You just have to be willing. But the warning today is when God uses you, it always comes with a cost. It always comes with a cost. For me, over the past month, I've focused on Nehemiah's life, his work for the Lord, and I find that he's one of the most motivating, captivating, and inspirational stories that I've read in Scripture in a long time. He was an ordinary guy that made an extraordinary difference. You see, Nehemiah was not a pastor. He was not a priest. He was not a king. He was not even a prophet. Nehemiah was not a warrior. He was not a a war hero. hero. Nehemiah was a cupbearer. How many of you have a cupbearer in your home? Couple of yeah, couple of you. I see a couple of husbands raising their hand. Yeah, uh, so you you don't have to tell me what you think it is. But how many of you know what a cupbearer does? Their primary role. Yeah, a couple of you. There's a lot of risk in this job. It, it would be like a modern day version of of a servant or a butler. How many of you have a butler in your home? couple of okay a couple of good yeah a few butlers in your home that's right exactly yeah <laughs> that, I didn't even think about that that works so well yeah so you guys can help us today in a, in a major way yeah uh, <laughs> if you want to know what a cupbearer does go to the butler's house and they'll they'll show you uh, what that is but Nehemiah's job was was very simple in, in task, in, in job duty, but it was very risky. You see, Nehemiah got to, to live in the palace with the king. He got to spend time with the king. He was one of the closest confidants because of his job. Now, now the cupbearer's primary role was to make sure that anything that was given to the king to eat or put in his, in his body was, was okay. 
And so if somebody wanted to gift the king a, a, new, uh, a new bottle of wine to drink at the next party, guess who took the first drink? Nehemiah. He had to make sure it wasn't contaminated or poisoned. So if anybody was trying to get to the king, most likely they were going to have to go through Nehemiah. This meant that Nehemiah had a close relationship with the king. He was there when decisions were being made. He was right there, probably in the background, as, as, as rumors were being told to him. As, as people would come to the king and com- complain about the king, he would hear the king's first response. I'm so glad I don't have one of these in my house. Not for any of you, of course, but... Um, he got to hear those responses. And then he'd also get to hear the actual action that was going to be taking place. If there was going to be a war, if they were going to go out and send soldiers out, Nehemiah had the first information on it. He was right there. He was next to the king. He had a front row seat to all of the major decisions and all of the minor decisions that were going on in the king's palace. He was trusted with intimate knowledge. And most likely, he was considered a friend of the king. You see, his main role was to be there for the king, to protect him, to be close to him. But one day, as Nehemiah was doing his job, his heart was plucked for something that compelled him to do something more. You see, it was a regular day when an ordinary man, Nehemiah, hears some news that changes the course of his life. And so if you're following along in your scriptures, Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2, we're going to see this interaction that takes place. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. You can follow along on the screen if you'd like. Hanani, one of my brothers, this is Nehemiah speaking, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. So his brother shows up. Hold on, let's go back to two. Don't, don't give him the spoiler alert yet. <laughs> he goes in and, and his brother comes and he sees him. He's visiting him and he says, how are things going? And his brother tells him they just returned from, from uh, captivity. And to give you a little background, you see 140 years before this, about 586 B.C., the Babylonians under King Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem and they destroyed the city. Solomon's temple was burned to the ground. Every building was in rubble and in shambles. The gates to the city were burned down. There was absolutely no protection for the holy city of Jerusalem. Everything they knew was gone. And the Babylonians took tens of thousands of Jews into captivity. And they were demoralized and they had no hope for their future. Decades later, decades later, 50,000 Jews have moved back to Jerusalem to rebuild. And here's what his response is about how things are going. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. They said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Here's a couple key things we need to see from this interaction here. The first one is this. There is no wall, no protection. They are vulnerable. They are scared. They're out in the open without any opportunity for them to defend themselves. There's no leadership. There's no direction. There's no confidence. There's no plan. There's no hope for these Jerusalem 
uh, people. They've come back, these Jews have come back and they've said, you know what, we're coming back to our city, we're coming back to what we know, but as they get there, it's in shambles and they don't know what to do. And Nehemiah hears this response and it, it causes him to probably ask the same question that we would ask ourselves if we put ourselves in those shoes. What do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? Let me, let me give you a personal take on this story for a moment. And I want to rewind. Some of you have heard this over and over, and it's probably like, why is he talking about this again? But I just want to share with you how this related to me and how I believe it's going to apply to us. The first thing is this. We were in Kansas City about seven and a half, eight years ago. And we were going through, through the, the motions of our life. I was in school. Our family was growing. We were just having a, having a good time serving as laymen in the church there in Kansas City that we were a part of. And, and then all of a sudden, we get a call from Pastor Cruzy. And he says, you know what, BJ? We got great potential in Pittsfield. And we want you to come and be our youth pastor, our associate pastor. And we came out to Pittsfield and we, we, we saw the great potential. We, we felt the great potential. We were excited about the great potential. And we began to, to obey the Lord and move here and come to be on staff here in Pittsfield. And we were so excited for what God was doing. And as God continued to move, we began to, to trust the Lord in our lives. And God moved us to Missouri. And that was a hard move. That was a hard move for all of us. And it was one of those things that, that when God calls us and he moves us, it's hard to say yes when you're so thankful to be where you're at. But as God called us to go to Missouri to, to lead that church and to be the pastor there in Missouri, God blessed us and he used us there. And it was, it was a wonderful time of, of ministry there in, in Missouri and the people loved on us and, and, and we saw great things happen in Missouri. And as we were in Missouri and then we went on to Oklahoma, God began to, to use us in Oklahoma in ways that we couldn't even imagine. And then we were actually in Colorado on, on a vacation, on a trip in that busy year for, for me to graduate from college. And I'm standing in the driveway of one of my now best friends in life who, if it wasn't for this church and Pastor Cruzy, I would have never met this man. But I'm standing around the grill with Chris Schatz and my phone buzzes, and it says, Pastor Cruzy's resigned. Would you come back? And I showed Chris my phone, and I laughed. I said, no way. No way. God's got us right where we're supposed to be. And I, I politely responded, and I said, no, I don't think this is the right time. I think God has us where we need to be. And we went about our life, but I'll tell you one thing that happened when I got that random, out-of-nowhere text. My heart was plucked. My heart was plucked from my people. Because you see, you guys have been so, so real to us and so loving to us ever since we came. And when we left here, one of the things we talked about as, as a Parsonage family was if we could go back anywhere, where would we want to go back? And without hesitation, all five of us said Pittsfield. And, and so my heart was plucked in that moment, standing in that driveway. Even though I said no, my heart was plucked for my people. Because I realized that now their leader was leaving. 
They probably felt some desperation. They probably felt some concern. What's the plan now? What's the next step? Our, our gate is now open. What is going to happen? And as God began to move in your lives, and, and Pastor Greg and Sarah and everybody on the church board has stepped up, and, and things began to move, and you began to interview and, and bring people in and talk to different people, God began to show that there was still great potential in Pittsfield. And then about a year later, still no pastoral leadership, still no divine direction, still no confidence in a plan, but still great potential. Compelled to pray about what God wanted you to do. And you spent a 24-hour time frame of, of a prayer vigil praying for your next pastor. And in those moments, God began to prick my heart again. And we began to have conversations where it was about my people, my friends, my family. And as that call came a second time, my wife looked at me and said, BJ, we need to pray about this. And as we prayed about it, it was very clear the same words that came to me when it was very clear for us to leave came to me again. And those words are simply this. I felt as if the Spirit of the Lord was impressing upon me. BJ, I need you to go and lead my people in Pittsfield. I need you to go and lead my people in Pittsfield. <laughs> I began to seek God's direction even before I became your pastor about what he wanted us to do. And God gave us that direction that we needed to, to reach that potential. And to reach that potential, we needed to connect and engage with people, to love them and to grow with them and to share with them. But now what? Now what do we do? What do you do when you don't really know what to do? How do you begin the good work? Well, I believe that God's Word in Nehemiah can help us as we start this process together. How do we begin the good work? The first thing we must do is we must sit down to cry. Sit down to cry. Nehemiah 1.4 says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. We must sit down and cry. Nehemiah knew the importance of just taking a moment to pause. To sit down and cry. You see, sometimes when we're faced with bad news, we do a couple of things with that news. One thing we can do, it's easy for us just to shake it off and put it behind us and move forward. The other thing we can do when we're faced with bad news is we can let it in. When you're sitting in the doctor's office and the news comes, that's not what you wanted to hear. You can just push it aside and ignore it and pretend like nothing's happened. Let nature take its course. Or you can let it in and you can mourn and you can grieve. What do you do when the news comes and that phone call comes that your loved one has passed away? You can just kind of slough it off. You're not there. You can't do anything about it. Or you can let it in. You can let it in and grieve and weep and mourn. Why? Because you care. 
Because you have feelings about it. You see, Nehemiah could have done done those things. He could have just pushed it off. You see, they're thousands of miles away. Nehemiah's got this great job, a wonderful job being an ordinary person that he gets to taste drinks and food and he gets to protect the king. He gets to live in the palace. And if it's in today's modern age, he's probably sitting there thinking, okay, this news comes, but man, I'm sitting in the palace and he's probably got his phone up taking a selfie saying, look what I'm doing. I got the king back here. I'm sitting at his table. I'm eating his food. I'm watching the same shows he watches. I'm doing everything he does. Why would I want to leave this? But instead, Nehemiah sits down and weeps over his people. He weeps and cries over the destruction that he's hearing about. You see, his choice was, I can push away the pain or I can choose to let it into my life. So to us today, we have a choice to make. We have a choice to make. When we're faced with bad news, when we're faced with a problem, we have a choice to make. So it begs the question this morning to you, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart? You might be saying, Pastor, where are you going with this? I believe there's two different things, and I'm going to kind of get you to the end before we get there. There's some things that need to take place in our lives as individuals. And then there's things that are going to take place in the body of this church that we're a part of. There are things that take place in our lives as individuals that are not for the body. Okay, we need to be very clear about that. But as a part of the body, anything that happens to us as a church and breaks our heart as a church, as we're part of a body, it should break our heart as individuals. So it's not a two-way street, but it is a street that we're both living on. Does that make sense? God may speak to you about something that breaks your heart. It drives you to the end. You want to do everything in your power. It may be with children. It may be something you see children that that can't read or children that are abused and not taken care of. and, And you want to step in and do something. And that's a passion of you. And it breaks your heart. You may see see some of your peers and some people that that you grew up with that are trapped in the addiction of drugs and alcohol and and pornography and and other different uh, addictions that they're stuck in, and it breaks your heart for them, and you want to do everything you can to help them, and you step in and try to help in any way you can. You may have your heart broken for things as an individual God's put on your heart to do something about. But just because he's put it on your heart doesn't always mean it will be for the church body as well. But when God puts something on the church body's heart, then it affects all of us. And it should break all of our hearts. So I want to ask you the question, what breaks your heart? What breaks your heart personally? And what breaks your heart for your church? And let me ask you this question. When's the last time you've sat down and wept for your church? When's the last time that things about church have broke your heart so much that you've sat down and cried? I have a pastor friend of mine that was telling me this story about his church, and he was new to, to the church, and he was, it was actually like his second or third Sunday. And he'd gotten to know some of the people, and there was, there was one guy in his church that had a reputation for being a grouch. And he was grumpy. He had one of those veins that would run down the middle of his face that uh, it just was always bulging. And you're just like, man, I don't want to talk to that guy. He's just, he's just grumpy. Well, on this particular Sunday, the pastor, they had, they had two services. And the first service, he got done preaching. And this, this grouchy man approached him. And they went out to the, to the foyer, to the outside patio 
uh, as people were leaving and they were shaking hands and greeting people. People were coming into the next service. And the pastor's standing there with this, with this older man and he's, he's dressed in a suit and tie and, and he's just talking about all the things that he thinks the pastor needs to know about in that first month on the job. And then all of a sudden this car pulls into the drive and into the parking lot and, and one of the ladies runs out and says, Pastor, you're going to have to be on your best game because we have a visitor today. And he's like, well, it's, I've already done this once. Is this not, am I not doing a good enough job? I mean, what is she saying by this? What does she mean by this? Well, come to find out they hadn't really had many visitors. And so this lady that pulled in, it was her that she was talking about. She saw her coming and this lady gets out of her car and she's dressed in clothes that look like they're the same clothes that she went to bed in. And she's coming up the steps, coming into the front door. And this gentleman, this older gentleman, goes down to her car before she gets to the steps. And he looks at her, and the first thing he says to her is, here in this church, we wear our best for God. You are not able to come in here looking like that. Tears begin to fill her eyes. She got in her car, sped out of the parking lot, and never came back. This pastor friend of mine said, I had so much righteous anger in my heart It broke my heart that we couldn't be a church that could be loving and accepting of anybody. And he said, from that moment on, I vowed that there would never be a person turned away because of what they're wearing. He said, we have a dress code in our church, and it's this, and we believe in it wholeheartedly, and we call people to it, and it's that you do come dressed. That's it. Put something on. We don't want to see that. Come to church with clothes on. That's our dress code. And he said, it just broke my heart. I'll be honest with you today as your pastor, as a pastor who's grown up in the parsonage. I've grown up in the church. Some of you say, Pastor, you're so young. You you haven't been at this long. I've been at this church thing for 36 years. Yes, I'm 36 years old, but I was born on the second pew of the church. I know how this works. There's things that we do in church that we lift up and that we make holy that are not holy. They're traditions. They're great traditions. They're good traditions. We enjoy them. We like them. They make us feel good. They point us to God sometimes. But they are not holy. He is holy. He wants us to be holy. But those things are not holy. Suit and tie is not holy. Now, I wore a suit and tie for the last two days and I loved it. But it didn't make me holy. There are traditions, there are things in this church that we've done for years and years and years that we've lifted up on a pedestal and it breaks my heart and thankfully nothing's come up yet, okay? But we haven't made changes yet. When we make changes, it's going to break my heart if we say, Pastor, for 30 years we've been doing it this way. I don't care. 30 years is not holy. God is holy. 30 years is not what we need to worship. We need to worship Him. What breaks my heart is if we would be a church that says God wants to change us and move us so that we're not just doing one service or two services. We're doing three and four services. Why? Because people are begging to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they want something we have and it's not our suit and tie. It's that we, they want Jesus Christ that we're showing up. What breaks your heart? When's the last time that you've sat down and cried for your church? What burdens your soul?
We are a church with great potential. But we can't reach that potential because we won't allow ourselves the freedom to change something that isn't holy because we've lifted it up to a holy place when it's not holy. God, help us to weep for our church, to weep for the things that (laughs) I know our feelings get hurt. And I get it. I've been there. My feelings got hurt this weekend. I, I know it. I get it. I don't want to hurt people's feelings. I don't want to break people's hearts. But I want God's burden to burden us. That's what I want. I don't want to hurt people's feelings over changing a tradition or changing a, a class or an approach to ministry. But I really, want to, I, I really want my heart to break because I want to reach more people. And I want to see more people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I want to see victories at the altar and in the pews. I want to see victories on the campus and in homes. I want to see victories that matter and that change the world. Why? Because God says, I can do immeasurably more than you can think or imagine. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. What do we have to do? How do we begin the work? We sit down and cry. Number two, we kneel down to pray. Nehemiah 1.4, the second half, it says, In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. You see, if it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. If it's big enough to cry about, it's big enough to pray about. Here's one thing I don't like about sometimes our approach to prayer. We sit there and we hear people's story and we say, you know what, I'm going to pray for you. And we do and we mean it, we're sincere. And, or we get to the end and there's been mishap after mishap and we're like, boy, all we can do now is pray. I think if I know God well enough personally, I think that would probably insult him if he's hearing that. Well, we've tried everything we can do. I guess we just can pray now. That's all we can do. No, 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 no. Prayer triggers heaven. When we pray, it triggers his heart. Prayer is not a last resort, people. Prayer needs to be the primary focus. We need to be tapping into the power. We need to be tapping into his power because without his power, our work is in vain. If we're going to sit there and cry about it and weep over it and mourn over it, which is okay, but what's not okay is to stay there. If it's big enough to cry about, then we need to be on our knees praying about it. When we go to the Lord in prayer, it triggers a response from Him. When you go, don't answer this question. I don't have time for the marriage counseling that will come with this. When you ask your spouse a question, you expect an answer. (laughs) When we ask God a question, He wants to give us an answer. But we've got to be willing to talk to Him. We've got to be willing to pray. You see, when we pray, we might be thinking, you know what, I'm just one prayer. I'm just one person. What really can I do? Well, what you can do is you will invoke the God of heaven into the situation. Because here's the reality. God plus one is always a majority. God's always enough. Don't get me wrong. But when we go to him and we say, you know what? I'm on your team. If God and the enemy are the two sides and we choose to go with God, guess who's the majority? God. 
God plus you is always going to be a majority. Majority rules most of the time. If you're going to pray, if you're going to seek God's direction, God is on your side. We need to kneel down and pray. Nehemiah did this, chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Then I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, listen to my prayer. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. You see, Nehemiah confesses his own sins and the sins of his people. And he reminds God of his promises to his people and his faithfulness. Do you really think God needed to be reminded of his promises? Probably not. But what this did is it forced, it, it forced Nehemiah in a way that he was striving for more of God to say, God, I don't know what it is that's going on. I don't know what happened. I've been standing here in the king's palace, but my heart's been plucked for my people, and now I'm kneeling to you, I'm crying out to you, and if I've done anything wrong, I'm going to get it out of here. I'm going to confess it. A month ago, we sat here on a Sunday night and had an incredible service of prayer and of confession to say, God, we're about to enter into a picture, and we don't know why we haven't reached our potential, but if it's anything I've done, I want to confess of it, put it behind me, and I want to move forward. And God's going to move when we, when we get down and we pray and we seek his face and we seek his power. How does the good work get started? We sit down and pray, or we sit down and cry and we kneel down and pray. One thing that stands out to me about Nehemiah was that he was a leader that led by example. As I began this month seeking God's direction, one of the things that came to me is I, as I wanted to plan plan this time out and I wanted to, to give God my, my first and, and, and my, my best and I wanted to just really seek him, his, his plan for our church and for our life, the first thing he showed me, you know, and I love this, I'm so thankful for it, that first day that I sat down, I journaled this, I put it in my journal, I started praying, God said, you know what, BJ, I don't want you to pray about the plan, I want you to pray for your people, I want you to pray, pray for every request you know about that's not personal. And I began to pray for all of you. And I began to pray for the needs that I know about. I began to pray for the unspoken needs that I don't know about, that you're going through. I began to pray with fervency for other people. I began to pray for my family that's lost, that doesn't know the Lord. And God has opened a door just last week for me to present the gospel to them. God answers our prayers. But one thing God showed me was we can't always pray selfish prayers. We may want an answer that only applies to us, but God says, if you want that answer for you, why don't you start interceding on behalf of somebody else? Maybe you're going through something today that you're just, you've been crying over, you've been weeping over. It's one of those individual burdens you're carrying, and you can't seem to get an answer, but maybe you need to fall on your knees and begin to pray for that somebody down the street that you know one of their needs, and you probably don't think it's as, as big as your need. But maybe when you start investing in their life, that God will give you the answer to your need. The good work must, be, must begin, and it's we sit down and we weep, but then we kneel down and we pray and we go to the Lord and ask Him to help. Nehemiah led by example. My pact to you, my desire for you, for, from me to you as your pastor, is that I would be a leader in prayer. 
when you ask me to pray, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm going to be writing it down. I'm going to be putting it on my personal list. I'm going to be taking the time to lead by example. And if you want to come by my side and you want to just spend some time in prayer together, come on. Let's do it. Let's tap into the power. Let's reach that potential that God has for us. The third thing is this. We've got to stand up and act. Stand up and act. Tears turn to prayers, and prayers drive us to act. Nehemiah was a leadership genius. He investigated the situation. He began to see what was happening to the people in his land. He began to cast vision. He began to delegate. He began to, to strategize for the, for the work. And then he began to face opposition. But most importantly, all of this was covered in intense and intimate prayer times with the Lord. Nehemiah 2, 4, and 5. Nehemiah was wearing this on his sleeve. And we see in this passage of Scripture in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Nehemiah is doing his job. He's still in the king's palace. And he's doing his job and he's going to the king to, to serve him his food, his snack, whatever the case may be. And the king notices Nehemiah's heavy heart. And this is what we read in verses 4 and 5. The king asked, he sees him disheveled, well, how can I help you? And just as immediately as he says that, Nehemiah lifts a prayer to heaven. Because I believe Nehemiah knew that this was an opportunity to show the king where his faith, Nehemiah's faith, was at. And he says right here, With a quick prayer to the God of heaven, I replied, If it please the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. In other words, my people are hurting it's breaking my heart. My, our walls are down. The city's exposed. Somebody's got to do something. And Nehemiah says, it might as well be me. Just an ordinary person that was willing to do extraordinary things because God had called him to do it. I can't help but rewind to that story. Two and a half years ago. As that first call came and I said no, but my heart was plucked, the second call came. And as we prayed and we prayed and we sought God's direction, somebody's got to do something. That church has too much potential to be without a pastor. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to step up and do something. BJ, might as well be you. Because I can use you. But, but God, I'm just an ordinary person. I'm comfortable. I'm, I'm in the center of your will. I, I can't do extraordinary things. I can't be the greatest that there ever was. Somebody's got to do something. Somebody's got to step up and do something. Somebody's got to stand up and act God called me to be that somebody here in Pittsfield. And I'm thankful for that. But I want to encourage you today that maybe you're being called to do something for God. But you're full of excuses. You're too busy. You can't make a big difference. You're just an ordinary person. Somebody else will do it. I can go on and on and on. But you and I, we got to realize that we can't do everything. I can't do everything. You can't do everything. But here's what we can do. Something. 
we can all do something. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You begin to do the good work. You sit down to cry. You kneel down to pray. You stand up and act. I want to close with this thought. You don't have to be appointed by man if you're called by God. You don't have to be appointed by man if you're called by God. You see, each one of us will be given a calling. You're going to be given a calling for you as an individual. You're going to be given a job to do as an individual that only you can do, that God has designed you to do that one job. He's calling you as an individual. But you can also be called by God, and He's calling us as a church. He's calling us as a church. Sometimes your calling is, a, is, is as an individual, and you're going to be plucked for those things that break your heart that we talked about earlier. And God's going to say, why don't you get up and do something about it? You've been praying about it long enough, and thank you for bringing it to me, but now I'm asking you to rise up, stand up, and do something about it. And you as an individual have that burden on your heart that maybe you've never shared with anybody. You, let me tell you something. You don't have to wait for your church to get behind you. Let me repeat that. If God's put a burden on your heart and he's called you as an individual to do something, you don't have to wait for your church. Go and be obedient. Do it. But I'm telling you, as a part of this church, when God breaks our heart collectively for something, you as an individual have a role to play in that as well. You don't just get to sit back and watch it happen. If we're going to sit back and watch it happen, I guarantee you we'll never reach our potential. We never will. I'm telling you today, I'm, I'm vowing, I vowed to the board this week, potential is a bad word in my vocabulary. Potential is the new four-letter word of this church. We are not going to live with the hope of our potential anymore. With God's help, the good work is going to begin. Sit down and cry this week. Cry for your church. Did you realize over the last five years, we've lost over a hundred people in attendance of this church? A hundred people have left this church in the last five years. Over that same amount of time, we've lost income upwards of a hundred thousand dollars. Why is that important? Because if God is going to do something different in our campus, it's going to cost money. We could use 100 more people. We could use 100,000 more dollars, but we don't have it now. That potential that I had signed up for seven years ago this last week was our first Sunday here. Did you realize that seven years ago? Potential is a bad word. I'm tired of living with the hope of potential. God, help us to sit down and cry. Help us to kneel down and pray. Help us to tap into your power. And God, don't let us stay there. Let us stand up and do something for you. Will you begin the good work here at Pittsfield Church of the Nazarene with me? Would you stand with me? I want to pray a prayer of blessing over us as we leave today. And I want you to be praying about this. I want you to, to ask the Lord this week that God would just break your heart for this church. That He would break your heart for the things of this church, that he'd break your heart for those, those things that we've made holy, that he would soften your heart to help us to take them off of their pedestal. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Listen to this prayer.
May God bless you with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that you may live deep within your heart. May God bless you with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that you may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless you with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, starvation, and war, so that you may reach out your hand to comfort them and to turn their pain into joy. And may God bless you with enough foolishness to believe that you can make a difference in this world so that you can do what others claim cannot be done. Lord, help us to trust you as we begin the good work. Help us to reach out and achieve the great potential that we have as your church. To reach your people. To reach your people for your kingdom, for your glory and honor. God, I pray as we go from this place that you would not keep us idle this week, but you would begin the good work in us. Prick our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. Cause us, Lord, to fall on our knees as we pray for those around us. Give us opportunities, Lord, to to reach out and to share the love of Jesus with somebody. And God, I pray that you'd bring us back with stories to tell, testimonies of what you're doing as the work is beginning. Because, Lord, we will focus and be thankful, as Psalm 100 says, as we enter your courts, with, we will be giving you praise and thanksgiving. We will be thankful for the good work you will do. And with your good work being done in our lives, God, we will not let you down. Help us, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen and amen. Have a great day. We'll see you tonight at 6.30.